Hey, what's up, Cub fans? Welcome to episode 98 of Locked on Cubs. I'm your host, Ryan Davis of the Sporting News, The Athletic, all the other places you can find me, Bet Chicago, Cubs Insider sometimes, Cloud City Chronicle. Yeah, I think you probably heard this before, uh, but that's where you can find me. Uh, we're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Uh, I apologize for missing yesterday. I was on assignment for a piece for The Athletic that should be coming up uh, sometime soon that I'll make sure to, to get out there just to tease it a little bit. Uh, if you're interested in minor league baseball, uh, this will be the piece for you. But uh, today, uh, we're talking a little bit about the Cubs. We're talking a little bit about the Cardinals and the Dexter Fowler situation as that has kind of evolved. I'll bring on my good friend Evan Altman of Cubs Insider uh, in the second segment to talk with me about that. And then we also have a question from a listener uh, who wants to know about MLB rivalries. So Evan and I will discuss that as well. But real quick, let's talk about uh, today's game uh, in the first segment. And then in the final segment, uh, I'll go over the NL Central, as we usually do. The Cubs play the Reds today at home, and it's Mike Montgomery starting against Tyler Maley at 1.20 p.m. Central Time. Monty has been excellent as a starter, boasting a 2.43 ERA in his last seven games, while Maley has also been very good lately, posting a 2.84 ERA in his last seven starts. Against the Cubs this season, uh, Maley has started twice, first throwing six shutout innings and then later throwing six innings and allowing four earned runs. The Cubs are on a six-game winning streak, but as we know, the Reds have been hot and they swept the Cubs in four games just last week. So the the Cubs are playing the Reds. It's a three-game set. Uh, Then they go on the road. They'll play the San Francisco Giants and the San Diego Padres, and that will take us into the All-Star break. So these these three games this week, uh, today and then Saturday, Sunday, that is the last home games for the Cubs until they return from the All-Star break, at which point they'll have the rare five-game series with the St. Louis Cardinals. And uh, I wanted to draw this comparison because I feel like it's fun. Um, The five-game series at home with the Cardinals in September of 2003. Yeah, 2003. Um, That was the, the, like, the moment when the Cubs, like, took their dominance over the Cardinals, I feel. Like, they... They uh, they won four out of five games, and then from that point forward, the Cardinals, I don't feel like we're really in the uh, the postseason chase in the NL Central. I know they finished just a few games back, but at that point, it felt like the Cubs were pretty much ahead of them uh, the rest of the way, and uh, I feel like this could be a similar five-game series. The Cardinals are five games back of the Cubs or so, uh, I think five games back, and, you know, if the Cubs can hold that similar position and then come out of the all-star break and win, let's say four out of five and really, you know, turn a five game lead into an eight game lead. I feel like they could really bury the Cardinals uh, for 2018. And uh, so that could be a really important series for that. Uh, But let's go ahead and pause that for now. We'll go ahead and go to our second segment and I'll bring in Evan. We'll talk a little bit more about the Cardinals and Dexter Fowler and how all this has kind of taken shape in the last few days. Joining me now for segment two is Evan Altman of Cubs Insider, my good friend and the uh, lead writer and editor and managing editor and everything that you would imagine that he does at CubsInsider.com. How's it going, Evan? It's good. It's good. It's uh, it's Friday, man. So uh, I think I think things could always be worse. Well, you could always be Dexter Fowler. That is true. That, that, would, be that would be that would be both a, a blessing and a curse. I think I'll take his paycheck, but I don't want to deal with his mm-hmm. uh, 
drama, if you will. Yeah, I wouldn't want to live where he has to live. I don't think he wants to live there either. Uh, so uh, I, I know the, the listeners uh, know that we talked about this on uh, one of our recent episodes, uh, the Fowler drama in St. Louis. But uh, now that he's returned from his paternity leave, it's gotten a little bit more complicated. Mark Saxon wrote this for The Athletic. I'll, I'll read uh, what Mark Saxon says and then a quote from Fowler uh, about this whole thing with Moselliak and his comments about Fowler not essentially not uh, trying hard enough. Uh, Saxon says, The relationship between Fowler and the Cardinals' management is more fraught than even Moselliak's comments hinted at. According to multiple sources on and around the team, Fowler and Matheny barely talk and haven't spoken for months. Moselliak, in fact, had been... Fowler's strongest supporter, at least until recently. Fowler seems popular among his teammates. And then later, a quote from Fowler says, My effort has always been there. I think it's I think that's out of question, out of the question. These guys in here know I'm getting text messages from everybody. That's bullshit. At the end of the day, I'm playing as hard as I can. At the end of the day, the cream will rise to the top. So the way I read between the lines here is that uh, at least for Mark Saxon, some of Fowler's teammates who support him have privately said, you know, Matheny doesn't even talk to this guy. Uh, and they're, they're kind of throwing the blame on the manager uh, for when you have a player who's struggling, who's, you know, president of baseball ops is questioning publicly. Um, the manager's not even going and talking to him, not offering words of advice, not offering, uh, you know, to, to be supportive, it's easy to imagine how a player like Dexter Fowler might feel increasingly isolated. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, I think the thing um, that's, sorry, I was, I was actually looking at another one of uh, Fowler's quotes there, but I, I think what's what's sort of telling is, you know, earlier in that same piece when, when Saxon asked him point blank, do you enjoy playing for the Cardinals? And, and he made a point to say that Fowler had like a three or four second pause, yeah. you know, before because he, he had to really think about it. Now, the the tough part about this whole thing is it's this this is kind of the the issue, and it's it's where like normal people find it difficult to like really relate to an extent. Because well, hey, he took the eighty plus million dollars from them. Um, that you know he he made his bed now he's got to sleep in it, but it is and it is kind of interesting because a lot of people kind of were like, man, Fowler is this sort of happy-go-lucky guy, knowing his personality from his time in Chicago, and, and then against kind of the stereotypical Cardinals way, and you kind of have seen this play out. Like a, a lot of people are sitting there going, "I told you so." This is what happens and that sort of thing. But you have to sort of feel for him because I think the worst part of this is. And it, what's funny is like the kind of the narrative that unfortunately a lot of the St. Louis media seems to have run with is this: what a, what about what if the Cubs had a, a, a highly paid outfielder who wasn't performing well? Their GM right. would probably like, all right, come on, guys, really? Like this is <laughs> you might as well put that on a tee with the whole Jason Hayward thing. Which, but again, long story short, to be a, a professional athlete and to have you know your team president come out and kind of openly question your effort. Uh, I think is the most difficult thing because that just that puts Fowler in this terrible position. I mean, what do you do then? Do you come back publicly and and again, kind of like he sort of did there and just call BS on your team president? Like that's it's just such a bad situation all the way around for everybody involved. And I just 
I, I find it really hard to believe that somebody in, in Mozeliak's position would come out and say the things he did in the manner he did. That's kind of what's more shocking to me than, than like an aging player not performing up to his contract. Yeah, and uh, you know my points in the past on this were that that's um, a really transparent uh, act of self-preservation for a guy who signed an outfielder to a contract that, you know, I'm, personally I, I know everyone loves Dexter Fowler, but at the time I thought, well, that's way too much money for him. I mean, uh, obviously I want players to go get their money, and hey, good for him that he got paid that. But you know, from a team standpoint, I thought, man, that deal doesn't make any sense. Uh, to the point you made on Jason Hayward, I, I feel like these two situations mirror each other really well in one way, um, but are it's like a compare and contrast. The, um, the fan side of it is very similar. Um, I mean, look no further than the fact that in 2016, it was in that very first season, uh, getting shit from Cubs fans for being terrible drove Jason Hayward off Twitter. Uh, so from like the situation of how the fans treat Fowler on, on social media versus how the Cubs fans treated Jason Hayward for the better part of two years. I feel like it's very similar. The difference is what you pointed out where Jason Hayward had a supportive locker room, a supportive manager, a supportive front office. You know, he had that support system and I can't speak to how happy he has been in Chicago. I mean, he obviously would be foolish to opt out of his deal. So at this point he's, looking at, you know, I have to make this work because it's eight years in this city. Um, but you know, I would assume that because of that support system, because of, uh, you know, the franchise and the way he's been treated in the clubhouse and by his boss, uh, I would assume that he's been fairly happy with it, even though he struggled uh, offensively early on. For Fowler, it just seems like the more he struggles, the more the Cardinals try and distance themselves from him, uh, at least from management. It sounds like the players are supportive and uh, seem to care and like him. You know, I, I did a piece that I recently retweeted uh, from Sporting News last year in Fowler's first trip back to Wrigley, and I talked to a bunch of his teammates, and they all seemed to, to like him, but it also seemed like, you know, he wasn't coming in there being a leader like he was with the Cubs. He was just trying to fit in and, and be one of the guys, and I think he's done that. Uh, it's just that, you know, Mike Matheny has never seemed to really care that much about him. And the point I wanted to make on this is it, I don't want to, like, make the obvious statement about the difference between these two players in the eyes of Mike Matheny or, or anyone with the Cardinals, but Matt Carpenter struggled just as bad as Dexter Fowler early on. And Matheny's response with Fowler was to stop playing him um, as frequently and, and give him less frequent at bats, which as we know, that hurts a player trying to come out of a big slump. He kept putting Matt Carpenter out there and Matt Carpenter came out of it. You know, what's the difference here? Why, why is he benching Fowler more frequently when he's giving Matt Carpenter more leeway? I can think of a difference um, yeah. right off the top of my head, but uh, yeah, I will I will leave that to the imagination of the listeners. I, I don't want to make I don't want to directly make that uh, make that accusation because I it, I feel like it would be irresponsible of us to make that accusation. But uh, I I did want to bring that up and say, yeah. are there any other reasons why? I mean, maybe it's because he's been with the Cardinals longer. I don't know, but it just uh, it seems odd that he's the Cardinals are so ready to throw Fowler under the bus and say well, we can't play him because this guy sucks now uh, when they were very happy to keep running Matt Carpenter out there when he was batting 170. 
Well, and what's what's interesting too, and, and, and again, I uh, obviously I should note that uh, that at least my my tongue was at least partially in my cheek on that that last part because I certainly, uh, aside from Matheny kind of just being a general hard ass, yeah. um, I, I don't want to cast any aspersions that way. But what's funny is that if you remember back to when the Cardinals signed Fowler, there was this open sense that they were they were kind of trying to mimic the Cubs. They were trying mm-hmm. to be a little bit more loose. Um, you know, Fowler notably was a guy who they, they didn't used to play music during batting practice, right? Like it was this really uptight locker room. And, and I remember there being an article in like the Post-Dispatch or something about Fowler starting the concept of playing music during spring training and at BP. And this was like this new thing for them. And I'm thinking – my God, what, are we in the 1940s? What is going on here? But again, there was a sense that he was—he had been kind of this emotional catalyst for the Cubs, and the and the Cardinals wanted to sort of reap those same benefits and and bring their own team. And but we've already seen now a year into that, and certainly his performance has dictated a lot of the the feeling toward him. So I don't want to uh, you know cast that aside. But it's funny how that narrative has just flipped completely on its ear to where. Now he's this guy who's almost being cast as this malcontent, um, you know, instead of what he was brought in to kind of be in addition to, to being a player. But I, I just found that interesting in the space of, what, 18 months or something like that, how how everything has sort of changed around him and the way he's viewed by uh, the top folks there in St. Louis. Yeah, here's my uh, – I pulled up my sporting news piece because you, you mentioned the music thing. Um, when I talked to him, this was, uh, the first week of June last year it was the Cardinals first trip to, uh, to Chicago. Um, it was June I asked, 3rd, I believe June yeah. 2nd or 3rd, uh, if I'm, yeah, if I'm not mistaken. Like it, yeah. It looks like it published on June 8th. Um, I asked Fowler, you know, about that music thing and, and what else he's brought from his experience with the Cubs, uh, to the Cardinals. And all he said was bringing the music that, that that's pretty much it. Um, when I talked to his teammates, uh, I, well, I also asked him, you know, what what else he's done to influence the Cardinals. He said, "You'll have to ask the other guys. I don't know how influential I've been yet." Um, I asked Matt Carpenter, and Carpenter's quote here, and and a lot of this is like it seemed fine at the time, but in retrospect, it seems a little eerie. Carpenter said he's just kind of slid in and is adapting to what we do. It's not like he came in and changed anything big. He's fitting in nicely. Um, uh, then when I asked, let's see, uh, Paul DeYoung, um, my question to Paul DeYoung was, uh, you know, who has been, because this this was a kid who was just in the big leagues for the first time at this point. Uh, I asked him who's been, you know, uh, the big leaders for him and helping him uh, adapt uh, into, you know, the team. He said, Yadi, Carp, and Wayno, the, the veterans have been, you know, kind of around to lead it. And then I said, what about Dexter Fowler? And he seemed kind of taken aback. Like, he's like, oh, yeah. And then he said, Fowler's been a great addition to the team. He treats me with respect. He treats everybody with respect. That's all you can ask for. So it just seemed like, yeah. And and in the piece, I kind of did the compare contrast where I asked Cardinals players about him. And then I asked Cubs people about him. And Cubs people were way more willing to, you know, Anthony Rizzo talking about what a great time, always loose, you know, always smiling, big part of the culture that they built. It, it just seemed like, things were slow developing for Fowler and St. Louis. And at the time that seemed normal, but now it's kind of like, but it never did. It never did really develop, did it? And that, and that really, I mean, it makes sense because we've also seen, I mean, 
and I think you could you could look at players across every sport and every level of it where it's not just a matter of the best talent always winning out. I think we've all I mean, how many stories are there about the kid who was great in high school who flamed out in college or great in college who flamed out? And it's it's not just because always that individual player or his talent, but it's a lot of that's that circumstances, those circumstances and and finding that right system and that right fit. I mean, Fowler was kind of underappreciated. In, in Houston and Colorado, a lot of it had to do with you know, playing in these big outfields and this and, and playing too shallow and that sort of thing. Um, but then he gets in this right fit in the right spot. I mean, being in Chicago for those two years he was there, um, that, that time he was there during the, the, you know, the real big run and 15 and then the, obviously the, the World Series, which a lot of people forget about that happened in 2016 uh, when the Indians blew a 3-1 lead, is – I mean, he was the Hugo Wego guy at the top of that lineup, and and he was, to his credit, was able to parlay that into a massive contract that's going to set him up for life. And so you can't begrudge him making the decisions that he did, but I think there is something to be said for finding that lightning in a bottle and and then how, again, he was never the same player before his time in Chicago, and there's no way he'll ever be that same player afterwards. And, and some of that is it's just a confluence of the exact right things happening. And, uh, you know, a lot of that is just the, the, the environment of the clubhouse and the team structure and everything else. So it's uh, yeah, that, that's the part that's kind of tough for him, too, because, you know, as an athlete like that, as a competitor at the highest level, the last thing you ever want. I mean, even if you hate the guys you play with, you want to at least go out there and put up good numbers and perform well. Because, you know, you're a competitor. You want to put up great performances. Right. So it's you your, really feel for him career. on both ends. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean that's, what, that's your legacy. That's, that's what people will look back back. And they won't remember like, oh, well, he had bad numbers because he didn't care because he was playing on a team he hated. People will look back and, and look and see that these are his career numbers. Um, and that's all hypothetical, you know, that we can't say like, you know, he hates his team or anything like that. You know, we only know. Um, that it's been a tough situation for him in St. Louis. I'm really curious, and I don't remember. Maybe it was, you know, public at the time, and I'm just not recalling. But was there a, a runner-up team on Dexter Fowler? Was there like a, a second bid that got turned down because it wasn't enough money? I'm, I'm not. For some reason, the only thing that comes to mind is maybe the Mets were in on, on him, but I just don't remember anyone else. I, for the life of me now, I can't recall. I feel like it was one of those where the Cardinals from the jump had kind of been the obvious team, um, yeah. you know, I mean, unless somebody else was out there that, that again, like you mentioned the Mets, I, that sounds maybe right. But I, I, I don't think it was a matter of like some kind of a bidding war. I feel like it was sort of the, the Cardinals like, and, and, and again, this is maybe just looking back on it me applying things that shouldn't be there, but I mean, it really did feel like they, they felt like they were getting over on the Cubs, like that they were stealing the Cubs mojo in a way by taking that, you know, that they were subtracting from the Cubs in addition to adding to their own team. And that was kind of redundant. But, uh, you know, and that's part of the reason for the overpay is they're kind of like, oh, we, you know, we got the secret. Um, you know, and again, uh, those, those, <laughs> you can, you can take all the ingredients you want, but if you don't have the recipe, you, you can't bake a cake. Yeah. And I think it's also worth pointing out uh, while Mazeliak's out there uh, trashing Fowler's effort. Fowler has been moved from the leadoff spot, which is where he, you know, traditionally has been. He's been moved from center field to right field, and he hasn't complained about it. And you know, he had a decent, uh, in fact, a pretty good offensive season last year. 
Um, he's been worse defensively, but you know, I think you pointed on I pointed that out earlier. The Cubs positioned him in a way uh, to help him be successful. They played him uh, deeper in center field, where you know, you, you know, maybe the Cardinals just can't figure that out. I don't know, but uh, it seems like they've they've made a lot of changes with him that he's quietly accepted um, and and gone out there and played. And now that he's you know struggling a little bit uh, or a little bit, he's struggling a lot uh, in his second season. All of a sudden, they're ready to throw him under the bus. It just seems unfair. Yeah, and that's the unfortunate thing. Like I said, it, it's it's one thing you know to come out and acknowledge the fact that a guy is is maybe not performing uh, as well as he would like, and as as well as what the team expectations were. And I think that's the kind of the funny thing is, is everybody's like, well, if he was hitting like this in Chicago, they'd all be complaining. Yeah, it's not a matter of you know, but the the issue at hand is not that his performance is what's being mentioned publicly; it's his effort. And I think again, that's the part, and and, and certainly. It's it's easy to say that oh this is Cubs fans because it's one of theirs. I don't care who it is. Any any executive of any team in any sport questioning the effort level of a player in that situation uh, is is what I would take issue with. That's not a thing that you need to be making public, and that's I think the the real big problem with this whole thing. That I just don't know if you can walk that back uh, carefully enough and and really reset the whole thing on this. But we'll, we'll see. It's a long season still. Yeah, it, it definitely seems like that relationship is irreparable, but you know things can change. The, the thing that I wanted to move on to before we finish up our segment and I let you get back to what you do, um, a, a reader emailed me this question a while back. I told her I wanted to answer it, but I wanted to wait until I had a good guest on to discuss it, and this seems like the appropriate time. Andrea Kuhn asks, As a Cubs fan, I consider Cubs and Cards the best rivalry in baseball. But from a less biased perspective, I would still imagine it falls in the top three. So my question is, in your opinion, where does the Cubs-Cardinals rivalry fall among the best all-time baseball rivalries? Oof. Um, I mean, I'm obviously biased as well, so I'd, I'd put it right up there um, with Yankees-Red Sox, which, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mean, I, I think people around the Midwest probably get a little sick of that because they see the ESP, you know, they feel this. there's this ESPN East Coast bias. Uh, which, you know, is, is kind of hard to dismiss. But, I mean, again, you're talking about two teams that have really gone back and forth, much, especially lately with both of them being really good. And, and this year, again, um, we don't get as much of it here. But if you want to talk about like a heated, passionate rivalry, uh, that Dodgers-Giants, mm-hmm. uh, you know, going stretching back to their days in New York, uh, you know, it, it, it feels maybe a little bit... Um, like they're, you know, a little bit mocked up maybe these days, but that's that's some legitimate stuff. So I, I would say, to me, um, those are the top three rivalries in baseball just because of the amount of time, um, the proximity, uh, and, and and the frequency with which the teams play each other, you know, because they're all in, in interdivisional uh, rivalries and intradivisional rivalries. So, uh, yeah, so Red Sox, Yankees, and, and Cubs, Cardinals are, are up there. And then I think uh, Dodgers Giants is a big one as well. Yeah, that, that's where I go with it too. Um, you know, if I want to be unbiased about it, I would say um, that I mean, obviously, Yankees Red Sox is the East Coast uh, rivalry. Dodgers Giants is the West Coast, and the Cubs get everything else. Cubs and Cardinals, and uh, I would say that Cubs and Cardinals probably falls third, simply because they really haven't had as many of those moments in time where they've really been both good at the same time. And that's, 
you know, obviously mo- the Cardinals are the team that's mostly successful historically, and the Cubs have been less successful. But even when the Cubs are successful, it seems like the Cardinals aren't, um, except for that one season where they both made the playoffs and got to play in the NLDS, and that was awesome. And I think that's the reason, like, if you glimpse at that series, that, that's one of my all-time favorite baseball memories is that NLDS series. You know, the Yankees and Red Sox have done that a handful of times, and uh, I can't remember how many times the Dodgers and Giants have played, but they've had a lot of, like, really uh, intense battles down to the end of the season where both teams have made the playoffs and uh, or one team makes it, the other team misses by, like, a game or two. Um, I think they've had maybe one or two matchups in the postseason uh, in their franchise histories, but... You know, for the Dodgers, I mean, they, they've been the team that you think of as for the last like 15 years, mostly dominant in winning that NL West division. But the Giants are the team that's won the World Series three times. Uh, so that's a great rivalry. And then Yankees, Red Sox, when you think of that, you think of the 03 04 back to back NLCS uh, or sorry, ALCS appearances. And then I think they also played in like 1999 or something like that. So. Um, and then this season's been absolutely outstanding, and I hope that they end up uh, playing together, you know, playing each other again in the postseason. But yeah, it's uh, I love the Car- Cubs Cardinals rivalry. Um, I've I think pretty much everyone who listens to this knows that I grew up in Springfield, which is like sixty five percent Cardinals fans and thirty five percent Cubs fans. Uh, so it's uh, you really live in the heart of it, and I know Indiana is probably really similar. Um, you know, you, you live in the heart of that rivalry and um, you feel it a little bit more than people in, in the Chicago area, I think. Yeah. And, and it's really weird um, kind of being in Indianapolis where it's also like heavily Reds influenced. Um, and then the AAA ball club we've got is now a Pirates affiliate. So you kind of mm-hmm. have that that flair. Um, and so, you know, magically, basically in a blackout zone for every team throughout the Midwest, which is just wonderful. Thanks, MLB.tv. Yeah. Um, but it, but it is, it's, it's a lot of fun. And I think even at those times, like I, I look at going back in 2014 and my buddy had a bachelor party. We went out to the bleachers at Wrigley. It was Arietta's first start that year, you know, after, and really was kind of his breakout season, but he, he shut mm-hmm. out uh, the Cardinals that day. And so you had what was otherwise like a meaningless game kind of in the grand scheme of things, but it was the Cardinals. And so it was just, you know, it's a big deal. And it's a, it just, it feels like it gets ratcheted up when you go in and see that. And, and, you know, it's a, it's, it's a neat one. And, and I think, you know, now that the Cubs have been, have experienced a little more sustained success, it does make it a little bit easier to kind of, the 1908 stuff has kind of at least slowed down a little bit. Um, so now it's just shifted to we've got 11 rings and you only have one and, and that whole sort of thing. But it's the banter is, is always fun, even though it does bring out the meatballs uh, quite frequently. Yeah, and I mean, especially after getting into you know writing about baseball, I try to step away from the Cubs-Cardinals banter as much as I can um and really just kind of sit in like switzerland like i'm I'm in the middle i'm neutral like uh i i can't be the guy who is out here you know saying well yada your molina sucks he's not going to make the hall of fame i can't be that guy uh just to trash talk because then i also like have to also be the guy who goes in and, and says hey yada you got a second to talk about blah 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 <laughs> um so so it, it makes it really interesting like when you know, i still wear cub shirts around uh, around town and like if a Cardinals fan stops and wants to like 
you know, randomly yell at me about being a Cubs fan or like, you know, give me a thumbs down and write in my face and go boo, which I'm sure like anyone not from uh, this sort of area would think that that sounds ridiculous. Why would random strangers do that to you? But it's it's very natural in the Cubs Cardinals rivalry. Um, yeah, I kind of just have to be like, OK, <laughs> like I, I just can't respond to it, which it, it makes it less fun for me. But um I know that that a lot of people love that about the rivalry. And I, I don't know if Yankees, Red Sox get that or, or Dodgers, Giants get that where it can be fun to trash talk each other uh, because it just seems like they hate each other so much. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, I think that's kind of the interesting. And, and I think that's part of it, though, like you mentioned earlier, is that those teams have so frequently met, whether it's in the playoffs or with a little bit more on the line. Then, you know, again, with that with that NLDS um, and, and again, I forget, I think the Cubs won that one. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, I know that was three whole heard, years ago. So my, I heard uh, they did. Yeah. Yeah. I think Schwarber hit a big home run in that one or something. Uh, and Lackey gave up a home run, which Cubs fans are quite used to. Um, to some but, hacker. Yeah. And uh, it's uh, but but to see that that's what really, I think, elevates it is when you can get if that happens, like you said, neither team is really they haven't been both good consistently at the same time and i think that sort of you know takes away from that a little bit when you're playing with those the with a really you know do or die kind of stuff on the line so it'll be interesting to see you know if if the cardinals do sort of bring that back around because the cubs obviously aren't going anywhere for a while and the, and the cards have sort of you know you kind of wonder i don't want to take it too far but when you do have a gm public publicly questioning things in today's era of free agency and, and guys looking for comfort in more ways than just money. How does that play in their efforts to rebuild and, and or not rebuild, but reload and lure free agents in there. So uh, probably a topic for another day, but something yeah. to think about. Yeah. Uh, and maybe we should talk about that again another day. Um, I, I don't want to hold you too long. Uh, but thank you for joining me for uh, this segment. Um, you know, I had somebody else lined up to chat, um, but Evan very kindly stepped in and, and pinch hit, and uh, you did your best Tommy Listella impression. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem, no problem. It's uh, 3 a.m. somewhere. <laughs> That's right. Uh, why don't you quickly tell uh, the listeners where they can find you? Absolutely. So you can check us out. Uh, check out the stuff that I write at, at CubsInsider.com. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at D Evan Altman, or you can also follow our site account at Real Cubs Insider. Awesome. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. No problem. All right. For segment three, let's do our usual around the NL Central. The Milwaukee Brewers beat the Braves yesterday, seven to two, and they've now won four straight games. The Cardinals beat the San Francisco Giants on the road, 11 to two. And they absolutely crushed Johnny Cueto in his return from the DL. The rest of the NL Central was dormant yesterday with the Cubs and Pirates and Reds uh, not playing. So the updated standings coming into Friday's games are this. The Brewers have a one and a half game lead in the division at 52 and 35. The Cubs are 49 and 35 at that one and a half games back, while the Cardinals are six and a half back at 45 and 41. The Pirates are 11 and a half back at 40 and 46, and the Reds are 14 back at 38 and 49. So uh, the Cubs would really love to make up some of that distance on on the Brewers. Uh, it seems like even even in a six game winning streak, the Cubs have added basically no ground on the Brewers uh, because Milwaukee just keeps playing well. 
these are the two best teams in the National League at this point, and I don't know if that's going to change. Uh, it could be another situation where the best team in the NL wins the NL Central and the second best team in the NL has to play a one-game wildcard game to play the best team in the NL in the NLDS, which is uh, a part of the for, uh, for the postseason that I feel like is a huge flaw. Uh, I can I can get past, you know, if you finish second in your division, you have to play the wildcard game, even if you have the second best record. But at that point, I feel like the divisional series should recede uh, and, you know, the two best records should take on uh, the other two teams, no matter who won a division or, or whatever. So um, I don't want to see another situation where, you know, the two best teams in the league by far are playing each other uh, in the NLDS. I feel like that that's a mistake that MLB needs to correct soon. But at any rate, uh, th- that's projecting a little bit forward um, and just kind of making some assumptions. Um, I don't see the Dodgers or the Nationals running away in their division. So uh, this has really been a season that's shaking out a little different than most people had expected. Thanks for listening, guys. This has been episode 98 of Locked on Cubs, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Um, I'm Ryan Davis. You can find me on Twitter at Ryan Q. Davis. You can also find the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Cubs. Give us a follow. Uh, interact with us for these episodes in which we uh, didn't have a game the day before. There's not always a ton to talk about, especially when I'm by myself. So uh, getting questions from the listeners really helps uh, add in stuff uh, for me to answer or for me to discuss with a guest. I really appreciate that, guys. So thanks for listening. Um, I'll be back again next week with episode 99, heading up to that big 100 marker, which should be on Tuesday. I will talk to you then.